Park. It's an 87th Precinct podcast bonus episode. This is the bonus episode for the podcast associated with book 38 in the series, which was Eight Black Horses. The Deaf Man is back with a lot of photocopying to do, apparently, to send to the 87th Precinct. We discussed a few little bits and pieces about 1985 in the main show but what we'll do here is we'll take our usual look at the book covers from the original releases in america and the uk have a look at our book covers and then get stuck into some more 1985 contextual stuff that sound all right fellas it sounds good to me it does yeah excellent stuff so let us have a look at the original editions and i will come to steve-o perhaps to describe the US hardback edition. Oh, right. Hold on. It should be the first photo I've sent you well, as we're doing this I, I, remotely. What, the blue text? Blue text at the top. With one, with eight black horses. Oh, no, there's only seven, isn't there? Mm. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven black horses underneath the text of eight black horses in black. I'm assuming one's just around the corner there and we can't see it. I would imagine one's on the spine, one not it? Yeah, on the dust sleeve. Um, so, yeah, it's a bit boring, that one, isn't it? A bit boring. It's not much going I mean, on. I think it's uh, quite an, an attractive design, but not, not spectacular, is it? It's not like the next one, which is raining black horses. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Eight. And there is eight there, so that's better. Oh, well, yes. well Steve has jumped straight onto the US paperback <laughs> edition. If we... So we've given the US hardback cover short shrift because it is just quite plain and simple. Title and some slightly mad-looking horses around the bottom of it. Go on then, Steve. Oh, carry on your description of this, well, this, this madness of the paperback edition. Eight black horses in kind of coral um, text. And then it's a bit retro, isn't it, with all the, the text at the top left there with the uh, Ed McBain, the new 87th Precinct novel. Looks a bit pulp 1950s-ish that yeah i think uh, the avon ones do a bit yeah. and then there's eight black horses galloping from the top right hand corner to yeah. the bottom left oddly to me makes it look a bit like it's going to be a western mm. i don't know why yeah it, does <laughs> it just bit, does yeah. yeah i suppose that you could put a couple of fake bullet holes in the text <laughs> it would look just like this the title of a spaghetti western thing wouldn't it before we even get onto the other books the book's called eight black horses what are you going to put on the cover uh, you know the way things are going but perhaps morgan you could describe the hardback uk edition uh which one i'm looking at so uh the with the the red blocky text at mm-hmm. the top yep so red blocky ed mcbain eight black horses we've got a what looks like a game of noughts and crosses or tic-tac-toe but um Instead of noughts and crosses, we've got the aforementioned eight black horses in the outer squares, and in the middle, we've got um, a crossed-out ear, as uh, is the logo often used by the deaf man in his communications. So it's a bit more sort of clever uh, graphic design there, hinting hmm. at the puzzle, the puzzle element of the uh, the deaf man's scheme. I think. Yeah, and the, the sort of uh, the, the, the game that he's playing against the against the eighty-seven precinct, I guess. Yeah, and then to round it out, these original covers from the UK and the and the US, we've got the pan edition, which will be familiar as usual, probably to loads and loads of readers, which is the gold band with McBain in a nice red colour, a new eighty mm-hmm. seventh precinct mystery, and a candle. I quite like this design. That's pretty cool. A candle that's burnt down, that's been marked with like 
a measurement candle, but it's been marked with the various things, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, black horses, police cars, DD reports, guns, and and pigs. So, so I quite like that one. Yeah, the advent candle. So it, it gets That's the, it. Gets, the, uh, gets the gets uh, the festive element in there too, which none of the others really attempt to do. So that's quite nice. Yeah, it is. It's okay. Is, your... it, is it stuck in a satsuma though? You can't tell. We can only assume. It's below the book. You could rest it on a satsuma if you wanted to create the effect. <laughs> Should that be your... Is that a Christingle? Is that what a Christingle is? I think you could be right. Oh, I don't know. Do you know what? It hadn't actually occurred to me that it was an advent candle, but of course it is. And uh, imagine if you went to the shop to buy your Christmas supplies, you're getting some some nice... uh, some nice tinsel for the tree, some decorations, perhaps spending a bit of extra money to get some nice glass baubles. And then you think, I'll get me advent candle. And it comes marked, eight black horses. Please, cars. <laughs> There's been a mix-up at the factory here. Anyway, what's a favourite out of those four, then? I think mine's probably that pan edition, to be honest. I, I think it's the best concept, definitely. I quite like the Western-looking one. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, quite dynamic, that one. It's... It, it's got a sense of movement about it, I think, oh, hasn't yes. it, with the way the horses have been portrayed on it. <laughs> so, yeah, the paperbacks are winning on that one anyway. But before we get on to our own editions, I sent an extra one along here. Mm-hmm. A little tiny image, you'll see here, of a hardback book printed with the phrase Eight Black Horses across the top in silver text, slanted across, and then an outline of one horse and Ed McBain's autograph signature so what is this mysterious edition that paul has introduced to the mix i hear you you yell through the internet dear listener it's not even black holes it's white i know it's the opposite it was well basically this was a special edition of the book that came out at the time if this was just a later edition i wouldn't have mentioned it but this was actually released at the time in a in a 300 signed copies produced yeah. by our friend Otto Penzler of the Mysterious Press. Oh, cool. Designed by a, a designer called Richard Oriolo, O-R-I-O-L-O, Oriolo, who is apparently still working and designing stuff now. But yes, so there was a special edition that the Mysterious Press turned out of mm. these. It came in a nice hard slip case as well, signed by the author. So that's a little treat there. Yeah, that's very good, then. Did, yeah. did he think the title was One White Horse? <laughs> It's, it's a light black horse it's so light it's 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 pure eight pure silver horse. light black horse or eight black horses hmm. unless unless there is eight of them but they're all one behind the other you see if it had been been colored in the middle then it would be the chalk outline of a dead black horse which would make sense and would be kind of cool but I yeah oh yeah i see what you mean th- there is there is three of them because i think there's a big white horse and then a slightly smaller black horse stood in front of it and then an ever so smaller than that white horse stood in front of that. Under that, yeah, stacked up very neatly in a line so yeah, you can just so, see the outline of one. So perhaps the title is three, well, no, two white and one black horse is holding the same pose. Yeah, running. But at relevant Behind distances to each other. Yeah. Well, there we go. That might make more sense to people when they have a look on our Instagram and see these covers when I share them. Probably so. not, really. But. <laughs> no, probably not. 
but let's talk about our editions. I will just state for the record straight out, I have got the pan edition. How do I? Yeah, you've, so you've got yours as well. Mine's quite nice condition, actually, my one. It's fairly untouched by human hand, it seems. Yeah, mine's all right, actually, too, yeah. Mine's 1987. Um, yeah, yeah, pretty good, Nick. So, Steve, what copy have you got? Well, yeah, I've got, I've got the uh, Noughts and Crosses one. Ah, right. Which okay. has a p- p- big picture of uh, uh, McBain wearing a uh, top on the back, like a polo top. Oh, very nice. Very authory. Yeah, kind of like hunched over with hand in hand. Mm. Yeah. Very nice. So, a uh, nice hardback edition of the original Hamish Hamilton, then. Excellent. Very good. And what does it smell like, well, Steve? Yeah. Oh, blimey. What's happening? I think I'll have to do some post-production on that. That was, that was a hell of an experience. <laughs> I think, yeah, it smells yeah, not that dissimilar to a paperback, really. Not sure the hardcover changes the smell, really. So, yeah, middling, middling odour there. Okie doke. Go on, Morgan, tell okay. us what yours is like. Go. Mm, not particularly pungent, just just like a, a very gentle, gentle kind of um, hint of mustiness, but but not, nothing um, nothing too acrid. A bookish oh. musk muskiness. That's the one. Mm. Yeah, mine's quite uh, clean, clean smelling. I'd mm. say minus. It's 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 what I'd come to expect from one that looked like this on the outside. <laughs> so there you go. If we do finally get to get back together in the same room to do our podcast again we'll have to be very cautious on our smelling because i think that could be our our danger point for transmission so we won't be able to smell each other's books even when we're in the same room together right so you'll have to control yourself steve-o for the comparison purposes well we, we've managed remotely haven't we so we'll be okay so let's get into some stuff from 1985 and we will start i think with the uk and the u.s singles charts some interesting things in here. I'm going to run them down rather than make you guess, and you can give me your thoughts. Okay. So it's start with the US, I think, this time. And um, we'll go from 10 upwards this time. I haven't done that before, have I? I've always done it the other mm. way. What, 10 so to it, 20? No, 10 to 1. Oh. Count up like top of the pops. At number 10 in America, we've got Who's Holding Donna Now by DeBarge. That's a good question. Do, do, yeah. do, 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 do. Is that how that goes? No, that's the uh, when they used to do the charts. Oh, oh thanks. Sorry, I thought you just had some insight into the song. I, I think the only Debage um, song I, I know is Rhythm of the Night. I don't know if anyone else is more familiar oh, with the yeah, word. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Debage. I thought that's something that you went on a canal. <laughs> on the canal. Yeah. <laughs> on the ba- to de- Get on to oh, Debage. On canal. Oh dear, we've always been quite dad jokish, but that's, that's fair enough. Yeah, DeBarge goes down the river. It's, let's move on from that now. So, <laughs> number nine is Get It On Bang A Gong by The Power Station. Oh yeah, that's the, the supergroup with, um, oh, who was it, Robert Palmer and some people out of Duran Duran, I think. Uh, oh right, yeah. yeah. Yeah, The Taylors, was it? That's right, yeah. Yeah. Shocking. <laughs> yeah. So super a group, they've covered a song from the 70s. Yep. Really super. 
Yeah, number eight was Sentimental Street by Night Ranger. Ooh, no, not familiar with that one. No, it sounds very late night radio, that, doesn't it? Does. it? Now it's Sentimental Street from <laughs> Night Ranger. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I was starting, my voice started to go while I was trying to do that voice. Um, at number seven, we have got Huey Lewis and the News with the Power of Love. Oh, Tremendous. Yeah, a pop song for the ages, that one. A brilliant song. At number six, Corey Hart says Never Surrender, hmm. which is a strident view to take. It is, yeah. Above him, Bruce Springsteen with Glory Days. I don't know that one. Oh, yeah, it's good. It's good, that. Yeah, it's a good one. It, it sounds really upbeat and it's actually really depressing when you listen to the words, but... Uh, That's got like the little saxy riff, hasn't it? Something like that, doesn't it? Yeah, quite possibly. It's it, yeah, just um, meeting lots of his old school pals in 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 the bar who are all still glory rel- days. Yeah, relying on their, the good old days when they were the captain of the baseball team or whatever. Sounds charming. Yeah, it's a good one. I, th- yeah. I seem to recall there's there's uh, some UK uh, indie pop band did a fairly amusing cover of it where it was changed so it was the captain of the cricket team. <laughs> um, and loads of really specific lyrics about being able to bowl a particularly good googly. That's, that sounds good. At number four in the charts, we've got You Give Good Love by Whitney Houston. Don't remember that one. No, I don't know that one. It may not have been a hit in this country. At number three, we've got If You Love Somebody, Set Them Free by Sting. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> That's all we need to say on that one. Uh, at... Number two, we've got Every Time You Go Away by Paul Young. So that's very M.O.R. really, isn't it? Yeah, it's very fretless bass. Yeah, and number one is Shout by Tears for Fears. Oh, right, yeah. Is that the US as well? That's the US, Charlie. Oh, yeah. So the UK, from 10 till 1, we start at number 10 with Round and Around by Jackie Graham. Hmm. Don't know it. No, me either. Number nine, Living on Video by Trans X. Gosh, I don't remember that one either. No, me either. I wonder if you've heard of this next one. It's by some band called Dire Straits. It's called Money for Nothing. (laughs) Uh, What a video. Groundbreaking. Excellent song, really. I'm not a massive Dire Straits fan, but you can't argue with Money for Nothing as a single, really, can you? Even if it's got Sting on, which it does. Yeah. I'll let them off. Uh, seven, we've got Cherish by Cool and the Gang. Oh, yeah. Very, oh. very smooth. Mm. And number six, we've got Live is Life by Opus. Oh, yeah. <laughs> German or Austrian? I, thought, I want to yeah. say Austrian. Yeah, yes. Certainly Germanic, weren't they? Big old mullets and um, massive <laughs> stadium-filling Teutonic choruses. Excellent. What I remember most about that song is when I got my first Walkman, my brother and I both got a tape Walkman given to us by our Auntie D. And to test the Walkmans, when she put batteries in so that we had batteries in, and she tested them both before she gave them to us. But she'd left the tape in. It was called Classic Pop Songs. <laughs> so it can only have been a couple of years, well, perhaps even the year after this came out. And Live is Life was one of the songs Already on that tape. Already a classic. <laughs> yeah. So I've known that for as long as I've been listening to sort of doing my personal listening to tapes. Brilliant. So, yeah. At number five, we have Axel F by Harold Faltermeyer. Oof. That's a, about as 80s as it comes, really. Sure is. Number four, Frankie by Sister Sledge. Nice. At number three, 
film tie-in song from Tina Turner. Oh, uh, Mad Max, hero. yeah. Yeah, we don't need another hero, brackets, Thunderdome, close brackets. Yeah. Uh, number two is Eurythmics with There Must Be an Angel Playing With My Heart. And number one, who do you think would be number one in the UK? Well, anywhere, if you were guessing at someone who would be at number one in the mid-80s. Phil Collins. No. Madonna? Yeah. Yeah. And it's Into the Groove. That would make sense. Right. So, I mean, those that's a, an overview of what's going on there. It's exactly as you'd expect if someone said, devise <laughs> a list of things that were in the charts in 1985. Yep, it's, it's all there. Yeah, it's pretty representative of the broader picture, I think, of, of the music industry. But there is some specific stuff going on, because like I mentioned, there was Live Aid was going on mm. as well. Do you remember watching it? I feel like I remember watching it at the time, although it's, you've, it's one of those things you've seen so many bits of repeated over and over again since then. It's hard to pick out now what's an actual memory from the time and what's bits that I've then seen afterwards yeah. and kind of fitted in. Mm. I, I can absolutely definitely remember it because we were having an extension built in our house. <laughs> where our couch was like, everything was covered in sheets and like our couch was in like a totally different bit of the room to what it was always was before or after. Oh, right. So I distinctly remember sitting on it, watching this thing on the telly, yeah. So every time you hear Freddie Mercury go, Dale, you just think, oh, couch covered in sheets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably never seen anything like it before, I don't suppose. No, it's, yeah, I mean, I don't remember the specifics of what I watched. I remember it being on and it being, and the fuss about it, obviously, mm. as well. Uh, and we had the single that I think more or less everyone had as well. But, yeah, so, yes. my, my sister would have been really into it. So stuff, stuff like that wasn't on telly, was it really? No, and it was it was such a significant event. It, uh, yeah. And I wonder, actually, the experience of our American listeners might be very different because, of course, they did have a live aid thing, but it was... It wasn't the focus on Wembley, was it? It was they had their own... Was it Philadelphia or something? I, I think so, yeah, with... Uh... Duran Duran and Zeppelin with uh, Phil Collins on drums being terrible. Yeah. And, yeah. Having struggled through a trip on Concord to get yeah. there. I'm not not blaming Phil Collins. Zeppelin were terrible. I think they blamed him, didn't they? But uh, yeah, they were just, just a shambles. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, aside from that, we do have some some quite heartbreaking events happening in, in music in 1985, such as... Well, what happens in Van Halen? Oh, yeah, yeah Dave, Dave Lee Roth out, Sammy Hagar in. Yeah, Ooh. things change. <laughs> yeah. Things change. Sad, sad times. Nothing lasts forever. Uh, well, he's, he's back now, though, isn't he? So. Well, he was. Oh, is he then, gone again? Well, he's, he's doing his own solo thing again, isn't he, in Vegas? I, I think he's been saying that, that he doesn't think Van Halen will do anything again. But then I, I did see a rumour the other day that they might be considering doing another tour with Sammy Hagar, but <laughs> it seems like a bad idea. Mm. Mm. Well, who knows what... The, anything could happen after the lockdowns lifted and people start touring again. All sorts of mad things might happen. That's very true. But one thing I suspect that won't happen is I suspect Roger Waters won't announce he's going to go out on the road <laughs> with uh, Pink Floyd anymore. No Because in 1985, that was when he announced that he was leaving Pink Floyd, thus ushering in another golden age for lawyers mm -hmm. arguing. Yeah, well, yeah, I don't think he's... Yeah, he didn't say he was leaving. I think he just 
thought that it ended, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, I think he thought that he'd broken them up and the, the others had a different idea about that, didn't he? Didn't they? So, yeah. Uh, it was actually, it was another Live Aid event that actually that reunited them briefly, wasn't it? It yes, was, yeah, enough. yeah. Yes, yeah, so Live Eight. It was, was and uh, I think at, uh, in, in 1985 Live Aid, Dave Gilmore played guitar for Brian Ferry's solo hmm. set. I think yeah. sounds entirely plausible. Oh, it's a tangled web. <laughs> uh, an interesting music thing from my point of view is 1985 is the year that Michael Jackson purchases the Beatles back catalog, the publishing oh, rights, yeah. thus absolutely uh, betraying Paul McCartney. who He's just had a load of hit singles <laughs> with and yeah, thus causing years of wrangling to try and get them back to control oh dear me who did he Such buy a... who did he buy it off then oh blimey steve there's whole podcasts dedicated to this it's, it's a complicated um, business isn't it yeah essentially what happens is atv own it for from the late 60s onwards when the beatles don't quite have enough shares to the other people in who have shares in northern songs sell them on and lou grade from atv picks it up and then this gets sold to michael jackson Eventually, McCartney puts an offer in, but doesn't get accepted. And <laughs> it's music publishing is a complex and strange, strange thing, which is because it's really important because it's one way you actually make money from your music. Mm. But in another way, someone else can just own the rights to a song you've written, which is a bonkers concept to try and get your head around. Who owns them now? Sony, I think. Not, not, Universal. Not, so Mac has never had them again. I don't even know. It's I th- you'd also you don't necessarily know who is a percentage shareholder of these things. I've lost track of it. So that's music. That's all music from 1985 taken care of. Phew. Let, let's get on to the brilliant thing of films. I'm going to do a very quick rundown of the top 10 films. Number one is Back to the Future, unsurprisingly. Mm-hmm. Huge film. Number two is Rambo First Blood Part 2. Oh, God. Number three is Rocky Four. So these are all exciting uh, action punching films and time travel and sci-fi. And then number four is The Colour Purple, <laughs> which is a slightly different tone to the film, really. What? As is at number five, which is Out of Africa, which I've never seen. But that's, is that Merchant Ivory? It's a documentary about Toto, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> the Steve Lukather story. Out of Africa. <laughs> uh, number six, it's those elderly people and aliens. It's Cocoon. Cocoon yeah. <laughs> Steve Guttenberg. Yeah. you got to love number a bit s- of Guttenberg, haven't you? Yeah, got it. Number seven, The Jewel of the Nile. Tremendous. Number eight is Witness. I don't know what that is off the top of my head. Yeah, about the Amish. People, oh, it might be. I yeah, think. yeah. Yeah, actually. Yeah. I vaguely remember seeing it when I was a kid, but I can't really recall anything else about it no number nine is the goonies number 10 is spies like us the aforementioned spies like us from our main podcast for all your chevy chase dan Aykroyd needs (laughs) i think i've ever seen it i think i saw it in the cinema with me dad oh really yeah yeah you contributed to the the 60 million dollar box office gross that it that it had i sure did yeah, I've seen it a couple of times, but it's, yeah, I don't know that it holds up necessarily. No, I'm fairly certain it doesn't, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, there was quite a, a few 
brilliant films out in 1985. Mm. So not in that top 10 was the Bond film from that year, which was... A View to a Kill. Yeah. With Roger Moore looking about 100 years old. (laughs) Yeah, bless him. But yeah, there's tons of really good films out there. Like The Breakfast Club's 1985. Uh, The remake of Brewster's Millions, which is one of the sort of films that's always on ITV. St. Elmo's Fire, another Brat Pack film as well. We've got uh, the film of Clue. We've got Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. Police Academy 2 from Lord Guttenberg. Reanimator. Oh, what a what a movie! Yeah, Excellent. we've got yeah, it's, it's Ace Reanimator. We've got sex Hollywood sex symbol Dudley Moore in Santa Claus the Movie. <laughs> uh, another one I saw in the cinema. Yeah, excellent. And we've got a film that terrified a generation of children, which is Return to Oz. Oh, oh yeah. great stuff! Yeah. yeah, which I really like, but. Uh, it's, General opinion seems to be that it's not very good, but I, th- I think that's just people trying to protect themselves mentally from the scarring effects of watching Return to Oz because I really like it. I think it's pretty cool. I, I like that it it actually acknowledges that some things happen in Oz books other than the first one, because like, yeah. uh, it's quite a fascinating series. But people only ever really know that first one, and the, the, with there being like forty books, it seems a shame that that, that hasn't been mined a bit more. Yeah, although uh, Frank Baum never actually wrote a scene where Dorothy gets electroshock therapy like no, she does that, in this film. That, that is true. He, he, he was occasionally known to write something a bit, you know, the odd disturbing bit. I don't think he ever quite went as far as that. And the last film I'm going to mention is Young Sherlock Holmes. Oh, yeah. What a great film. That's one of my favourite sort of ITV Saturday afternoon films yeah. at Christmas time type thing because it's set in the snow. Shame it never kind of spawned any sequels, that, really. Yeah. My name is Cracky Shybottom. Or he tries to remember some name, doesn't he, when he's getting yeah. taken hallucinogenic drugs. They find a pyramid underground. and oh. It is great. It's very, very enigmatic kids' adventure film, that. Which, even as an adult Sherlock Holmes fan, you, you can forgive it because it's such a good adventure film for kids. So, yeah, some good films that year. Uh, TV is another matter entirely because, I mean, where do I start? I mean, if I start with our Australian friends, 1985 is the year that gives us Neighbours. Oh, brilliant. (laughs) Which in my researches, it looks like it started on one channel in Australia, Channel 7, and then got dropped. And it looked like that could have been it. Yeah. It got picked up by Channel 10. Yeah. It's still around now, although I can't remember when I last saw an episode of it. Well, didn't it? Uh, and that's when it was like syndicated over here, and that's why it was always like we're always about a year behind, <laughs> and it like j- gradually caught up. I think. Yeah, for anyone who doesn't know n- Neighbours, I see. I don't know if this would have got to America at any point. Nah. It would be odd if, but it would be odd if it didn't because it's so much in the mold of the American soap operas. I'd say more than it's mm. in the mold of Coronation Street, but. Yes, yeah. It was a cultural phenomenon for a very long time, yeah. particularly in the 80s. Yeah, st- still going. Yeah, and for our friends in Canada, they offer us the cartoon The Raccoons. Oh, tremendous. Yeah. Run with us. Yeah. It's a strange one where some of the animals are talking raccoons, but they have pet dogs or <laughs> something, or the child dog is a dog, but the dad dog is a, to- a talking dog. 
Is that the one with Cyril Sneer in it? Yeah. Yes, and it Cedric. is. Yeah. yeah. And the pigs, the pigs that say, yes, Mr. Sneer. <laughs> <laughs> Which is still my favourite impression to do. Uh, <laughs> we're not short of soap operas in the UK because in the UK, EastEnders starts. Oh, yeah. All right. Which at the moment isn't running, is it? Because no. the COVID lockdown has shut down Maybe production. Yeah, they've, uh, they've just been filming Talking Heads in the the empty sets, haven't they? Instead. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, it's very well made, EastEnders, but it is just so bloody depressing, isn't it? So depressing. It's just like realistic to the point of. It's not life affirming. You just want. You just wouldn't live there. You'd move somewhere else because everyone's having such a bad time all the time. Yeah, so it's set in the sort of working class East End of uh, London, for anyone who doesn't know, as opposed to something a drama that started that year as well called Howard's Way. Oh God! <laughs> which is like the anti East Enders, isn't yeah. it? It's, it's rich people on yachts, yep. pastel sweaters. It's <laughs> oh, how glamorous! But ironically, well, it's not ironic. It's just coincidence. Uh, both had theme tune written by the same man, Simon oh, May. Yeah. You've met him, haven't you? I have met him. So there you go. And I will be talking about that with a guest at some point on my other podcast, the Head Ballet Podcast, about novelty songs at some point in the future. Excellent. So, Good so there you go. Me and my celebrity friends. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we have a couple of kids' cartoons that meant a lot to me, or kids' things that meant a lot to me. One was a cartoon called Bertha, which was a stop-motion cartoon. Oh, that was brilliant. Tremendous. Yeah. Essentially about a machine that could make anything in a factory somewhere. Uh, lovely birth. Lovely birth. Uh, oh, I think you're a dream. Think you're a dream. <laughs> yeah. Do, 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 do. You can always turn the goods out. Yeah. Yeah. It's wonderful little uh, stop motion animation. And there was a thing called Pob. Oh, God. Pob. Which was a weird sort of kids show of... A sort of incomprehensible puppet spitting on the screen. Yeah, it was quite controversial because the, 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 a lot of parents felt it encouraged their kids to gob everywhere. It's a very weird one. I encourage anyone who's never heard of Pob to look it up. <laughs> and one I want to mention that I've never seen, but Steve-O has been watching a lot of recently. What's Starts that? in 1985. Oh, oh, it does, yeah, yeah. I've started watching that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a bit mad, really. It's like an American... Well, one American character and a, a, a posh English member of the aristocracy, a, 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 a cop duo. Yeah. So it's like a bit like the Bill, but Dempsey wanders around with like a massive magnum, <laughs> um, m- much to the annoyance of his boss. So it's all a bit peculiar, uh, but quite fun. Yeah, Ooh, yeah. I'm just have a look at my recordings now. Series two started today. Oh, well, there you go. Yes, it's been repeated at the moment on one of the channels in the UK. So that's that's a classic cop thing from the 80s. Whereas in America, basically, if you name any of the shows we love from the 80s that aren't the British ones, it's likely to be one of the ones that starts from America in 1985 realistically or thereabouts so for instance we have street hawk starts there for all your fast bicycle needs although i was never as keen on that as i was with knight rider because that street hawk never talked it wasn't a talking bike was it (laughs) 
but we do have such things as the Care Bears. <laughs> you know, I saw the Care Bears movie in the cinema. I'm not afraid to admit that. Thundercats starts 1985. Yeah, that's good. Quite obsessed with Thundercats for quite a long time. Absolutely. Remember the Christmas I got the Thunder Tank? Oh, I wasn't even expecting Ooh, it. It was wow. brilliant. Oh, the excitement. I feel it now. <laughs> I didn't get anything from the Golden Girls play sets, which uh, <laughs> the, the Golden Girls uh, started in 1985, which is actually not a bad comedy at all. And the Equalizer. Oh, all right, yeah. Which has got a brilliant 87th Precinct connection in that Robert Lansing is one of the characters in it. Yeah. So TV's Corella. Amazing. Years later. I only really remember that it had a, a great theme tune and a really cool kind of opening sequence, that show. Yeah. I, I don't think I've ever seen the, the show that follows it. I, I tried to get into it once, and it's just a bit, I don't know, Edward yeah. Woodward wandering around with, like, massive bins on. <laughs> bins is glasses for anyone who doesn't know. <laughs> yeah. But there's just so much TV there. You've just oh, brilliant stuff. Thundercats, brilliant. But we better get onto our picks oh, yeah. for 1985. So who shall we go to first? I think we'll go to Stevo first oh, for your right. film and music picks for 1985. Well, we've mentioned all the films. I had a bit of a look. Yeah, I think I'm just going to go with Rocky Four. <laughs> okay, what a great film. Which one's four? That's one with Ivan Drago. If he dies, he dies. Fair enough. I, I always and, get the numbers mixed up, but that that is the best one. Yes. Um, and it involves it involves um, Stallone goes to Russia and he has to train, being pursued by the um, the KGB, doesn't he? And part of his training, right. he runs up a mountain in a big coat. Yep. That you just think, yeah, it's just all a bit very silly, but. Great. Um, yeah, it is good in that. But it's got a synth soundtrack by a musician called Vince Dicola, or uh, Vince Dicola, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, who does the soundtrack for a very important film to me from 1986, which I'm not going to mention now. It will crop <laughs> up in the future. I do get mixed up a little bit with Rocky Three, but I think Rocky Four has the Robert Tepper in No Easy Way Out, and it has a montage in the film that, probably goes on for about 15 minutes <laughs> also has um has a cameo from james brown i think uh aye, yeah which is it's always a good thing uh, so yeah, yeah that's a, that's a stuff. good good, uh, good bit of fun isn't it but an honorable yeah. mention to the um uh young sherlock holmes and cocoon of course <laughs> yeah definitely i know which yours is going to be anyway paul oh right okay well you'll find out in a bit <laughs> So, what's your music pick? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, there was lots of good stuff, but I don't know. Kind of maybe slightly too early for some amazing stuff or slightly too late. I wasn't really sure what to go with, so I went with Live After Death after a bit of uh, conjuring because <laughs> that was one I of the earliest Iron Maiden albums I bought. And actually a decent live album from yes. a band of that era, which is a bit of a rarity. It's a pretty great summation of their career up to that point, isn't it? Uh, it is indeed, yeah. Classic. Yeah, sounds good. Okay, we'll go to uh, you then, Morgan, to tell us your film and music choice. Oh, well, film-wise, um, I went for um, Return of the Living Dead. Okay, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which I, I, I just absolutely um, love. Uh, for any, anyone who hasn't seen it, uh, it's... 
based on um, John Russo, who who did Night of the Living Dead with George Romero. Um, as George Romero carried on the series, John Russo went his separate ways and, and came up with his own story for how he thought the series should continue. And um, Return of the Living Dead is a, a film based on that. It um, takes, a, a, I'd say, a much more comedic turn than uh, than uh, Romero's films took. Uh, and it's fr- from that that we get the, the kind of now popular cliche of the zombies saying brains, <laughs> uh, which is always fun. There's some great sort of teen punks hanging out in a graveyard, which gives an excuse for a great, sort of punk and kind of like death rock soundtrack as well it's it's absolutely ridiculous and it's extremely good form um <laughs> is, isn't 1985 wasn't day of the dead 1985 I, do you know well? it, it is as well yeah i was torn between the two really because that that's that's also an absolute core that's definitely the most over the top of the uh the original um, trilogy but uh, i think um return of the living dead is even sillier <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I thought that was a good one to go for, really. Excellent. And what about your music choice? Uh, Music-wise, for me, there was... Uh, damn, there's loads of stuff that I love in 1985, but there was only one choice for me, particularly because uh, it was 85 when New Day Rising by Husker Du came out. I uh-huh. suspected you would pick that. Quite. It's it's possibly my favourite. It's certainly one of my sort of top five albums of all time. Um, just sort of the perfect kind of balance between really gnarly, aggressive, hardcore punk and kind of really melodic kind of indie rock, just all mashed together in a big, horrible blur of sound. Absolutely (laughs) great. Yeah, it's an excellent album. Really, really good. Yeah, I suspected when I was looking through that that might end up being your choice there. Right, so my picks then for film from 1985... Now, one of the ones I did consider was there's a film that's always been in my head since I've seen it called Daryl. Oh, yeah. This was, this was in my consideration. Daryl is written, written as capital letters. It stands for Data Analyzing Robot Youth Life Form. <laughs> and I just remember loving it. And then there's a sequence at the end where he flies the Lockheed SR-71 Blackbird, which is like the most exciting <laughs> plane there's ever been. But I've not gone for that film. I have gone for Brazil by Terry Gilliam. Yeah. <laughs> Possibly one of the best films ever made. Certainly the best Gilliam film. I mean, that's not to say I don't love Time Bandits and things like that, but because I do. But it's uh, the first time I saw Brazil by Terry Gilliam. It was like I'd never, I'd never seen a film like it. I just, it, it was funny. It was dark. It was satirical. It just didn't let up. And of course, watching it in the UK, you don't have the terrible badly edited ending where everything ends up nice <laughs> so it's bleak so that was my film pick Magnificent. and my album pick was three-way tie for last by the minutemen hey. because and i know i've picked a minutemen album before but 1985 strange i couldn't find anything else particularly that you know stands out that i have in my record collection that i would go back to so often hmm. as, as three-way tie for last it is a good one so did I meet your expectations, Steve, over there with any of that? Uh, you did, yeah. <laughs> okay. okay yeah, then. I think we'd, we'd, we'd probably both predicted that one. You know me. <laughs> um, I am sat in a room that has three movie posters on the wall, one of which was the Brazil poster, except that that is the one that has fallen down. No. 
so I'll have to get that sorted anyway. <laughs> right, so there you go. There's so some picks from us from 1985. Now, I mentioned in the main episode that the next book we're doing is 1987, but the book after that is 1987 as well. We had two excellent. So I reckon for the next one, we'll do our selections from 1986 so that we've got a 1986 to do leading to 1987 and then the book after we've got our picks for 1987 See? Cammy. that way we don't we don't miss anything out or we don't don't miss out something i really want to talk about so <laughs> <laughs> that's the main thing so until next time when we return with book 39 which is poison i'm gonna say goodbye goodbye and fairly well <laughs>